Hello, I'm Sheila Pearl, the love doctor. Let's talk about making love better. So as I've talked about many times in the past few episodes since we began this love loving uh, podcast, love comes in many forms, but love is basically who we are. And as Eric Fromm says, love is an attitude. It is your unique specialness. And so every conversation that I have, I invite a very special guest. And today I am thrilled to be having a conversation with Terry Britt. Now, Terry Britt is to me a luminary. Terry Britt is someone who has really walked the talk and she has learned what it means to wear your crown proudly. She is former USA. She has been around the world in many ways, and she has circled the globe in terms of her own life in many important ways. She's bringing to us, as I speak, a very important program coming out of the work that she's done for decades called the Worthiness Quotient. And what I know with the work I do in the world, the work I've done on myself, is that the most important love affair we have is with ourselves. It is the most challenging concept to many of us. The whole idea of loving ourselves used to be thought as something that was, well, let's just say selfish and not the, the nice thing to do. And yet what I know in the work I do as a relationship coach and intimacy specialist is if you do not love yourself, how in the world can you love anyone else? And uh, so I've invited Terry to be a part of our conversation today on making love better because how can we make love better, any better than to talk about feeling worthy because we love ourselves. So Terry, welcome today. And please tell us about what you're doing in the world and tell us about why this project came into being and what it is you are about to bring forth. Well, first off, I just want to say thank you. And my goodness, what a beautiful opening. I can just feel your heart and your intention and your mission. Oh, I mean, you and I talked a few minutes beforehand, but then when you just started sharing from that space, it, I don't know, Sheila, was beautiful. So I just want to say thank you for you and for what you're doing and for being such a, a visionary yourself. And thank you for those beautiful words as a luminary. I hadn't really thought of myself that way, but I have to tell you though, I had a vision a long time ago and, and at first I ran from it and it was this Coliseum where all of these women were sitting in the audience. And as I finished talking, you know, those, um, I think they're Chinese lanterns. They're, they're, they're kind of, uh, I think that's what they are. They're right. Chinese lanterns. And then they can float off into the air. Well, the vision I saw was that each one of these women that, that were sitting in the audience, they became one of those lanterns mm. and they all floated off into the air and went back to their homes to anchor the light. Wow. Yeah. That's and it was, and it wasn't something that, oh, I'm creating a vision board or anything like mm -hmm. that. It was a vision that was shown to me because, you know, I'm, my, my life very much is about allowing 
God to guide me, to open up, to receive divine guidance. And it wasn't always that way. Okay. You were asking, how did I get into this worthiness quotient message? Exactly. <laughs> we didn't just fall out of the sky and come up with ideas. <laughs> we had to walk over hot coals. Oh my gosh. Place, right. So many hot coals, a whole river full of hot coals. Um, so the way it was for me is I, as a kid, I saw my mom and dad. I just watched them and mom was very, very suppressed. Daddy was not doing it to her. She was doing it to herself because that was the programming, right? That's been handed down through the generations. Sure. And so I watched mom and dad and daddy at that time was doing, I think he was doing like Earl Nightingale and Dale Carnegie courses or Zig Ziglar, things like that. Ooh, okay. He was, he was ahead of his time. He was, he was. So he went from complete poverty consciousness as a child living on the side of a, a barn, five, five boys living in the same bed from what it was explained to me, to his dad being in and out of prison. And when he was out of prison, he'd beat up my dad as a little nine-year-old boy trying to sell flowers on the corner to make some money. His dad would beat him up, take the money and then go drink. So daddy came from this life of really abuse and poverty and he wanted to do something different. So he ended up getting his real estate license and taking all these courses. So in the 60s and 70s, when the women's movement was happening, daddy would say to me, you can be anything you want to be. You can do anything you want to do. Well, he was God to me, right? I mean, daddy, especially with the way mom suppressed herself, he was God. So I literally attached myself to his energy. And, and what that meant for me is that I wanted to be seen and heard and valued like my dad was. So much so like what we have done as women in our culture, right? We've, we've kind of attached ourselves to that energy. Well, that's what I did. And I became the best student, straight A student, going after every accolade. But it was interesting because, you know, here I saw my dad and he was a workaholic. And I saw him being always, you know, he was happy, he was fun, but he was also stressed. He was working really, really hard. And I became that, I, I attached to that energy. And, and so what I found in myself, Sheila, is that I never really felt a sense of fulfillment. I never felt, I never felt like I was loved. You know, I didn't, I, I felt like I was going after all this stuff because I wanted to be loved like I saw dad was. But was I didn't. Almost like it was a quid pro quo. Almost as if love was a transactional. Yeah, right. exactly. Like if I work really hard, then I'm going to get your love in return. If I'm really good in this relationship, then I'm going to get your love in return. If I work really hard at school, I'm going to get those teachers approval, right? If I work really hard in my career, I'm going to get that. And so my life became a hamster wheel. And in being on that hamster wheel, I got angry. And I got angrier and angrier and angrier and angrier because I just kept pushing and pushing and nothing ever filled me up. And it was so interesting because I would, I would be in these relationships. I started having boyfriends at the age of 15 and every one of them was like, control, you know, control them. And you talk about it, making love better, right? I would control these boys and want them to love me the way I wanted to be loved. And it was just, it was crazy. And what was so nutty, really, really nutty is I followed my, my high school boyfriend. I was in high school. He was in college. I followed him to a college that did not have a broadcasting department. And yet I wanted to get into broadcasting. Okay. That doesn't, I mean, how many times do we do that in relationships, right? When you talk about making love better, 
how many times in relationships do we think, oh, if I give myself up and I just give to this person so much, then I am going to be so loved. Well, you know what? I didn't feel loved. I didn't, I didn't feel loved. I can remember seeing him talk to a girl at a party and going down and starting to beat the crap out of him. I was trying to beat him up, you know? Right. And it was, I mean, I was just so messed up in my head about what love is, right? And, and, and what I needed to do to win love. So needless to say, I was not in a good space. And thankfully in my second semester of my sophomore year, I left school. Uh, I friends and I told him I hated it. He said, well, don't go. And I said, I have to. And he says, says who? And, and it was like this thing washed over me. It says, why are you going to this school? You know, you do something else. So I left school and a few months later went into Miss Arkansas on a whim, Miss Arkansas USA, really? won Miss Arkansas. And two weeks later was shipped to Miss USA, got to Miss USA, had short brown hair, my dress didn't even go to the ground. I mean, I had no training. And so I get into top 12 and Bob Barker says, what are you doing Cabot, Arkansas on a Saturday night population 4,000? And I, I was real Southern. I said, well, Bob, <laughs> in the summer or in the winter, we stay at home. But in the summer, we go down the Tasty Freeze. We sit on the back of my friend's truck. The guys, he plays the banjo. The guys drink a little beer and dip a little skull. It's a real good time. And I won. I won with that. And, and so it was interesting in that moment, it was that I was so excited to have won, right? And then there was a sense of, is this it? Because there, there was, again, I'd gotten an accolade. I'd gotten this, you know, this supposed love from the outside world. And yet I was still feeling like, is this it? Is this it? And that, then I felt- that, That's guilty. the trap. That's the trap. That's the trap, right? Is we perform and we perform and we perform and we go after it and we go after that love. And, and I just kept doing this. And by the end of that year, I just, I felt like I was back to where I started from. I'd lost a lot of my money and I went into the television career, uh, industry. It was uh, what was now the E! Channel it used to be movie time. I was the news anchor, I did commercials and stuff. I was the Mazda spokeswoman for a while. And again, I never felt that love. I never felt it. And I just kept getting angrier and more frustrated. Well, in the late 80s, I got married to my late husband, Steve. We were married for 17 years, and then he passed away. And with Steve, I did that hamster wheel thing again. Let me be the perfect wife. Let me be the perfect stepmom to his son. Let me do everything right. And then we had two little girls. And once again, I found myself angrier and angrier and angrier. And it for me, it was just, it was this, I had so much, I mean, Sheila, I had a 7,000 square foot home in Manhattan Beach, California on a hill where I had ocean views from, you know, from a distance. We had a 50 foot sport fisher with two bedrooms and a bath and kitchen. We had classic cars. We traveled. We did everything we wanted. My late husband and I did, and we were miserable, mm. miserable. It was, it was the American dream and the nightmare as well. It was, it was so crazy because we were so focused on how it looked and how we had everything. And we looked like we had all of this abundance. We had abundance on the outside, but I can tell you, I performed for him because I never wanted to lose his love because it was a survival thing. He performed and drove himself into the ground 
making that money to create all of this stuff. And he couldn't let up. He had to hold on for dear life because he was afraid if he let go, everything would fall, fall apart, right? Right. So this was the mentality. And of course, because neither one of us were really happy, we would blame each other for our unhappiness, right? Of I course. mean, you know how that goes. It's I know how that goes. And, and you, tell, you tell me and you tell us, where does lo love go in the midst of that? Where is love? Where does love reside? The only place I know it is, is it's got to be deep in your heart. I mean, it definitely wasn't between us at that time. I mean, we cared exactly. and we, we had an idea of what love was, right? But I don't think we really, we understood it with our children, okay? I mean, we loved our kids, but I think between the two of us, there were these walls that went up because he wasn't loving me the way I wanted to be loved, just like my boyfriend that I tried to beat up in college. Right. And vice versa, right? So... There was this, I don't know, if I had not gotten onto a spiritual walk, we would have probably divorced. And, and I'm so thankful I did get onto a spiritual walk. And the way that happened was my dad died and my dad had lost everything in bankruptcy. And he was the guy who had been my hero, right? He was your hero. Oh, is He was my hero. Wow. And he and lost everything in bankruptcy. He, had, he became an alcoholic like his father. Now, luckily, he was not a mean alcoholic. He would drink and fall asleep because his dad was a mean alcoholic. Mm -hmm. But daddy lost everything. And I'm looking at his life going, what's the deal here? What, what happened to dad? And, and I was really taking a close look at his life and realized that he couldn't receive love. He had no forgiveness of himself. And, and, and then it hit me that I was like him. And I knew that I was perpetuating a cycle within my family of of anger, of dysfunction, of pain, of separation, like my dad had done. And like, I had been living on that hamster wheel for so long doing it as well, just performing, performing, performing. Dad performed, I performed. We were all performing, trying to win love because the reason he, when he lost bankruptcy, he couldn't forgive himself. And he had already been drinking a little bit, but it was when the financial problems happened because so many men define themselves by, by their finances, right? About how much money they're making and how successful they are. Right. And so when in the eighties, when there was a recession, it really hit Arkansas badly. And so daddy, daddy, he lost, you know, he started really struggling and then everything, he lost everything in bankruptcy, but there were so many bankruptcies in Arkansas. It was ridiculous. You could read page after page, a little bitty lines of who was bankrupt. And he couldn't understand it. We had friends who were very successful who were mowing lawns to be able to feed their families, but daddy couldn't do it. It to him, it was taking him back to be like his father. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, and so he, he couldn't forgive himself. And that's when he just really went into that downward spiral of drinking and, and the dysfunction and the hiding and cutting himself off from us, from us loving him and from him, you know, being able to receive our love. And, and I just recognized that I was like him. And thankfully, you know, the aha, the big bulb, the cosmic two by four went off in my head and said, okay, you've got to change your life. You've got to change it, or this is going to continue in your family. You're going to end up like your dad, even though I didn't have a drinking problem, but something else, right? Well, there's my something else. I just want to loop around because I don't want to lose sight of the issue of the crown. So when you became Miss America, Miss USA, there's a difference. I mean, I'm sorry, Miss USA. No, <laughs> mea culpa. Uh, Miss USA, there was something in you that was wrestling with your sense of worthiness to receive that crown. 
So oh, absolutely. I yeah. So what, that part of your story because it's connected to what you're doing now. Absolutely. And, and thank you for bringing that up. So what happened for me was on that night of winning, I won the crown, but I, in that moment, I said there was the, the elation of winning. And then there was the sense of, is this it? And then I had this sense of guilt. I had this feeling of, oh my God, I'm screwing up my boyfriend's life. The one who I'd been trying to beat up, I, in my mind, was screwing up his life because I was going to be sent to New York and he was being left in Arkansas. So I had this tremendous amount of guilt that was sitting inside of me. And so even though, you know, I won the crown, I wasn't really claiming it. Even to the point of that night, I considered giving the crown back. I could not receive the crown. So I didn't really understand this back then. It took me years to look back on that and go, oh my gosh. Because I always knew that, you know, that night, it was so fun, you know, that I won because I spoke my truth. You know, when you when you speak your truth and follow your heart, I left school. I, I mean, I had so many ahas come from that. That was a huge thing for me. That was a huge win, but it was only a seed. It took me years to understand it because I just kept perpetuating the same crap over and over and over and over again. And it wasn't until when I saw myself doing this in my family and then I said, I'm going to shift this, that I started looking at my life. Okay. I started looking at it and realizing that there was this thread, this ribbon that went through my life that said, you must perform to be good. You must perform and do it right to win love and approval. Don't you dare rock the boat. Don't you dare, you know, put any your feelings above anyone else's. I, I had this running theme. And so in essence, what I was really saying is don't receive. Because when you give yourself a voice, when you shine your light, when you love yourself, you're actually in an act of receiving you're putting yourself in a high vibrational energy and so i was living from a belief that i'd been raised in watching both my mom and dad not being in a receptive space that they thought that was bad you know you talked about earlier in your opening about loving yourself right and that we often think it's selfish that's what we're programmed to believe so we're programmed to believe that loving ourselves is selfish and self loving yourself equates to receiving so we are brought up in a society that says, don't receive. So we all walk around in an empty cup, right? So that's what I was doing. I was like, okay, if I love my husband, if I love my boyfriend, if I love my kids, if I love all these people, then I will receive, receive life's rewards, right? If I do it right, if I make enough money, if I work hard enough, then I will receive life's rewards. So we get on that hamster wheel. And, and for me, what I started understanding is that as I was living on that hamster wheel, I was perpetuating the pain and the suffering. And the way that came about for me is I got into a healing school. I didn't know anything about energy. I didn't know anything about meditation. I just knew that my therapist, because I, all these awakenings were happening about my dad and me, me being like him, she said, you need to get into therapy. You need to get into meditation you're wound really tight. And I, I knew she was, she was correct. And then all of a sudden I find myself in a healing school and I'm learning about meditation. Then I'm learning about energy and learning to move energy with my hands and then go into the intuitive healing program, which is where we would watch energy and clear it 
And then if we, if we were reading someone and we, all of a sudden we couldn't see it anymore, that meant that we were having a subconscious belief or an old memory being triggered. And that was our cue. Okay, go in and heal yourself. So working on other people was an avenue for you to look at yourself. Well, every time I did that, oh my gosh, every time I would clear the energy and where I was getting triggered and I'd clear to I'd come back and I go, wow, I feel so, so good. I feel so peaceful. I feel so joyful. And I started bringing that energy into my home, which changed everything, right? I mean, you're coming home and you're joyful. You're not blaming anybody for your unhappiness. Oh, my husband, my, my late husband, he was really happy when I quit blaming him for my unhappiness. To, so this, you know, the, all of a sudden the walls came down. So that was so beautiful to see that. Well, as I continued the process, I found my gift of being a coach. I remember somebody saying to me one day in a class and she says, oh my gosh, she says, you have such a gift for understanding relationships. I'm like, what? And she said, you don't even get it. She says, you just go right to the point. You just go right to what's going on with that person. And I don't, I, at that moment, I was like, really? And then I realized that my whole life, even as a little kid, I was everybody's dear Abby. You know, it, I mean, my mother said I became the mother at the age of seven, mm -hmm. right? So it was something inside of me that I didn't know was there until I made a decision to, to heal. I didn't have any idea that I had any gifts. I just knew that I could do a lot of things pretty good, nothing that I felt passionate and fulfilled with. So as I started on that journey and started coaching people and then continued to look at my life, I realized, and, and also learning more about energy and that we're, you know, we're 90 we're 96% energy. Our subconscious mind it runs about 95% of our lives. And the mind has thoughts that, uh, that bring up feelings and those emit a vibration. And so whatever vibration you're emitting is what you're going to attract to you. The law of vibration says energy attracts the same energy, right? right. And so as I started learning all of that and realizing that my outer world was a mirror to my inner world. Just like when I was, you know, doing a healing on somebody in healing school. And if I got triggered, they were showing me myself. It meant we had similar energy. We had a matching picture. And so I started looking at my outer world as a mirror to my inner world to go within and love myself, to really go within and see what was hurting inside of me. Because if I'm reacting, I'm hurting, right? That's right. So... I made that my mission and really the mission was unconditional love that I was not going to be like my dad was where there was no forgiveness that I was going to choose unconditional love in every moment now so I want you sometimes to we're better than others <laughs> so, so let, let's just take a deep breath here and underscore that you cannot have unconditional love for yourself or anyone else without forgiveness, without compassion, exactly. without empathy. It's not possible. So I didn't want to step over that and I didn't want that to go by too No, far. I'm, gl I'm, glad you, I'm glad you said it um, because it's absolutely true. And that was one of the things that I had to do. And it was so funny because my kids were such a wonderful gift for me because you react to your kids, right? Everything's all hunky-dory when you got this little baby and Oh, sure. They don't talk back. 
They don't talk back. They don't they just get to cuddle them and they just do whatever you want. Until exactly. They're, they're just so cute, right? So and then cute. they get to that age and they start doing things and you you can feel the, the hairs on your neck stand up, right? And you think, <laughs> oh my gosh, you can't do that. And you have to ask yourself, well, why can't they do that? Because, because why? And then if you really look at it, it's because your mom said you couldn't do it. So now they can't do it. So I made them and my, and my, and my husband and, and my friends and, you know, my outer world that I was dealing with, because I was a stay at home mom and, you know, in the beginning, I made them my avenue of going deep. Mm. And really what I realized is that I had been performing my whole life. Just like I said earlier, I've been performing for love and approval. And in that performing, I was treating myself as if I wasn't enough. I was treating myself as if I wasn't worthy. I was treating myself as though everyone else was more important than I am. And of course, if you're treating yourself that way, then you're holding a vibration that sends that out to the people around you. And you're gonna draw that kind of mirror back to you. So I couldn't understand, well, why aren't they having compassion for me? My kids have compassion for their dad, but they don't have it for me. Well, it's because I was telling them, oh, your dad's just stressed out. He's had a hard day at work. It has nothing to do with you. Just know that, you know, this is not about you. So I was showing them how to have compassion for someone else, but I never had that kind of compassion for myself and saying, wow, I need to look at the little girl inside of me and say, what's hurting? What's going on? I can see you're really lashing out today. So there's something that must be really, really painful. It took me a long time to get to that place. It and that's about, that's about allowing, giving yourself permission, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's about knowing that you matter. You know, my thought is, is that we keep waiting for other people to tell us that we're worthy of being loved. We're worthy of compassion. We're worthy of forgiveness. But we're the ones who have to take a stand for that. We have to do that for ourselves. For me, I was shown, I was meditating one day and I was focusing on unconditional love when all of a sudden little Terry, the little five-year-old inside of me showed up yeah. and I'm sobbing. And I hear in my ear, get up and write this. This is the beginning of your book. So I started writing and I realized that I had never acknowledged that little girl. So my mission then became unconditional love is if I'm reacting, it is because this little kid inside of me is feeling unloved. She's feeling abandoned. She's feeling judged. She's feeling so much pain. But the tendency is for us to say that everyone else is doing that to us. Okay. Yeah. What I learned through the process was that I was doing it to myself, that me as the adult, when I was feeling those emotional or that emotional angst, it was as if the adult left the room, the light had been turned off, mm -hmm. the door was locked, and the little girl inside of me was sitting in the corner by herself, huddled up with her arms around her knees and crying and going, I feel so alone, nobody loves me. And so what I had to recognize is that when I was reacting, it was that little girl who was just hurting so badly and so afraid. And when I 
made it my mission to scoop her up, to open that door, turn on the light and come over and pick her up and put her in my arms and say, I am so sorry you're hurting. How can I love you? What's triggering you? What's, what's causing you to react? Because I can see you're lashing out. I'm a Scorpio, okay? So when I'm in pain, I go like this. And so I've had to really come to that place of going, this is when you're hurting, when you're being triggered, when there's something going on inside of you. And so by doing that, by going and picking up that little girl, by loving her and telling her, I love you. What do you need from me to feel loved? Not from the outside world. What do you need from me to feel loved? And then I take action. I listen and I take action. What I've discovered is I no longer need to look for people to tell me that I matter or that I need them to say, I see you or anything like that, or that they hear me because I'm doing it for myself. So what I'm doing is I'm becoming the divine parent and what I call the woman leader of love. I become the woman leader of love and pick up that little kid and love her the way she's always wanted to be loved. And by doing so, I become the authority of my life. And by doing so, I'm treating myself as if I matter. I'm treating myself as if I'm enough and I'm treating myself as if I'm worthy. And in doing so, I'm putting on my crown. I'm claiming my crown and opening up to a high worthiness quotient. Now we really haven't even touched on this and I'd like to just dive in unless you wanna ask me something about what your worthiness quotient is. Well, I, I'm gonna ask you that in a moment, but I just want to reflect on what occurs to me about my own journey and the journey that I often share with others in, in you know, seeking ways to, to love yourself, right? Yeah. Uh, and I was just having a conversation yesterday with a client who is feeling so angry mm. and so uh, bereft of not ever being loved by her mother who died a, uh, about a year ago. Mm. And so she's grappling with the grief of losing her mother, but also the anger in her mother dying before she ever experienced being loved by her mother. And yes. there's still that part of her that it's saying to herself, it's the little girl in her that's saying, it's not fair. It's not fair. I deserve to be loved. And my mother didn't love me. It's not fair. I deserve to have soft, tender words spoken to me. I deserve for her to wrap me in her arms. I deserve to hear her say, I love you. Yeah. And so what do we, what do we do with that? Oh, I can tell you exactly what you do with it. So I look at spiritual agreements, okay? So this client of yours, she was in spiritual agreement to come in and have this experience with her mother is what I see. I see, I see the contracts, I see everything. And so this woman probably has a pretty cool purpose, but she hasn't even tapped into it. All she's right now is being in the victim mentality. I kind of had a similar thing. My mother was good with me, but yet as a baby, they chose not to pick me up thinking that they were gonna spoil me so I cried and cried in the crib. Well, if you know anything about babies, that's the way they communicate. So they take, if you don't pick that baby up and they're not being nurtured, I took on a belief in that crib that I wasn't worthy of being nurtured and loved, right? Because it's kind of like the primal misunderstanding. Yeah. <clears throat> it's a primal misunderstanding, yeah. right? That our parents might've meant well. Yes, oh, they meant totally well. They were reading baby books. They were reading Dr. Spock. And they said, don't spoil your child. Well, one of Dr. Spock's kids grew up and killed himself. 
So, you know, it was, it was a very dark thing for me. And it was something that I had to work to overcome because when my sister came along two years later, they bought a rocking chair, they changed their perspective. They would put my, my sister in the rocking chair and cuddle her. My mom said I would just clamor to get into that rocking chair. My mom and I have talked about all this stuff, right? Wow. But yes. Yeah. We've, I mean, I, I know these are things that really happen. And so for me, I never really felt loved by my mother. I didn't have that strong bond. I know my mother loves me and we're close now, but for years, that was one of the reasons I think too, I, I attached myself to my dad because it was just my mom and I did not have a strong, strong connection and it was hard. So when you talk about this client of yours, I had to look at my mother and say, what was the spiritual agreement? Okay. And the agreement was, is that she would be in self-denial. She wouldn't love me the way most of us want to be loved because I needed to have that experience so I could come in with my life mission because my whole life mission is for people to love themselves and to raise their worthiness so that they open up to receive miracles. So I look at that as a gift. Now, when you were talking about her and, you know, her mother died, I see this so often, Sheila, where someone loses someone they love and the grief just brings up so much stuff, not only from the present time, but from the past. And so they'll give themselves permission to grieve. But at the same time, what I do in a situation like that is I start saying, thank you for the gift. What is it showing me? And I'll never forget, this has been years ago, um, a woman calls me on my office line. I've never met her. She's sobbing. And I said, what's going on? And and she started talking about her son and how much she missed him. And I thought he had died. Uh -huh. So I asked her, I said, well, what happened? And she said, he went to college last year. Mm. I mean, this is how much grief she was in. And, and so when I look at the grief, I see the little kid. Okay. I'm looking at this. The little kid inside of her is really, really grieving. So I asked her, what did your son give you that you're now missing? And she, she got quiet for a moment. And then she said, he was really playful. I don't have any playfulness in my life anymore. And I said, oh, wow. <clears throat> so you're grieving the playfulness. You don't have a playmate anymore. And that's when all of a sudden she just, she just kind of perked up. And I said, this is not about your son. This is about the little girl inside of you who's grieving because she wants to play. So I guided her through a meditation to look at her inner child and said, now, what does she need from you to be playful? And I don't remember what she said, some things that, you know, she used to enjoy that she had, excuse me, enjoyed in a while. She was completely different by the time we got off of that 10 minute phone call, right? I mean, it was that quick. It was just boom, boom, boom. And, and so when someone has the grief around a parent who's passed and they didn't get what they needed, and they're so angry. It's the little kid inside of them going, I'm so angry. She, you didn't love me. And it's what she's really saying it is to me, the adult. So if, if it was my little girl saying, I'm so angry at my mom. Well, as an adult, you know, I can't change the past, but that little girl saying it to me, you're not loving me. You, you aren't loving me. You're buying into what your mom did and you're believing it and you're not loving me. So for me, when I hear someone say that, I would say to your client, listen, that little girl inside of you is screaming at you. You can't do anything about what your mom did. 
you can't do anything other than say, what was the gift? What am I to learn from this situation? What was the soul agreement? The soul agreement was, wow, I need to learn to love myself and I'm going to be an example for others. And who knows where it's going to lead? I mean, look at me. I became a mom and, you know, really sucked at it and then got on this path. And now I'm helping people from all walks of life, especially a lot of moms and women. So you never know where it's going to take you if you'll get out of the victim mentality and start claiming your worth, loving yourself, treating yourself as if you matter, talking to, the, to that little kid inside of you. And then through that connection and through really loving that child unconditionally and letting go of the beliefs of how you think it should be or how it should have been done and just really loving that child presently right now for who that child is, you create this connection and you feel worthy. You feel worthy. And that's when you claim your crown. And for me, see, I didn't do that. That night I won Miss USA and almost gave my crown back. I was looking for the judges to love me. Yeah, I won. And then it was like, this is it. And then I'm thinking about my boyfriend. I'm in complete emotional chaos, total emotional chaos, right? Yeah. So this is what we do in relationships. We, we don't love ourselves. We get angry. It's the little kid inside of us saying, you're not loving me. And yet it goes right past our ears and it comes out to the people around us. And we say, you're not loving me. You're not loving me. You're not loving me. No, is that we're not loving ourselves. And here's what's so cool about it, because we know that energy attracts the same kind of energy. If I'm not loving myself, if I'm not hearing that little girl inside of me, right? If she's saying this stuff and I'm not hearing her and I'm blasting it out maybe to my husband, he's probably not going to hear me because he's going to mirror to me the way I'm treating myself. Mm. We may have a conversation, right? And he may act like he's hearing me, but nothing changes. Right. Because I've seen that in my own life when I had issues about being heard. So that's my cue to go within deeper, to, to peel off the layers of what's really going on. And it can be many things, right? I mean, it could be you, I mean, I look at some people say, well, you know, I've, I've cleared this, and, but I keep coming back. And I say, well, I think of a core belief as like a big, like a big piece of metal. And there's all these paper clips on it. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I get triggered. I go within, I talk to the little kid. I find out what the belief is. I release that belief. I bring in the energy of my truth and I've released one of those paper clips. And so we keep pulling little ones off and then eventually we get to the core and whatever that might be for you. And once we release that, a lot of times we don't deal with any of that crap that we had dealt with in the past. So it's beautiful when you just keep seeing my outer world is a mirror to my inner world. My outer world is telling me, have I claimed my crown? Have I, am I treating myself as if I matter? Am I treating myself as if I'm worthy of being loved? Or is my outer world telling me, no, you, you're living from an energy that says you deserve punishment. Mm. Right? That you're not enough. You're not worthy. You don't deserve that crown. And this is what I have come to understand, Sheila, is that if I am running an energy and my world is showing me that, that I have a belief that says I don't deserve love. I know that's not the truth, right? I mean, you know this and I know this, that we all make up the body of God. 
We are part of God. We are the divine children. We are all divine. We have that spark of love and light inside of us. And anything that tells us different than that is a lie. And when it's when we take on those beliefs that we, we get on this hamster wheel, okay? We get on this hamster wheel because we take on a belief, it projects this negative energy, then we draw things that feel like punishment. And then what do we do? We work that much harder trying to prove our worth, trying to win love, trying to win success, trying to win happiness. And so we just keep doing it and doing it. We stay at this low worthiness quotient. But the moment we choose unconditional love and say, I'm no longer performing, I'm going to love myself unconditionally. I'm going to be the divine parent to this little kid inside of me. Then we move into alignment with the way we were created. We move into alignment with God. And here we move into a high worthiness quotient because we've treated ourselves as if we deserve to be seen, heard, and valued. We treat ourselves as if we're worthy. And in this high worthiness state, we now open up to receive energy that matches this, which is gonna be loving, it's gonna be abundant, it's gonna be prosperous, it's gonna be joyful, it's gonna be passionate. And we're going to have miracles show up. I mean, I could tell you miracle upon miracle in my life that has happened because I've raised my worthiness quotient by loving myself unconditionally and let go of guilt. So here's a little interesting thing. When I left school to go into, to move home and, and then one Miss USA, I was following my heart. Okay. Mm -hmm. I was following my heart. I broke all the rules. I followed my heart. And then a miracle showed up. And that was the seed that was planted that night was that when you follow your heart and stand in your truth, miracles show up. Now, here's what's interesting and what I didn't tell you earlier. I had so much guilt, though, after I received it, right? And then my family yeah. talked me into keeping it. By the end of that year, I had given my dad my money to invest and he lost all of it. Oh, my God. I had won 150,000 in cash and prizes, half of it cash. I gave all the cash to daddy to invest. He lost all of it. So I had to sell most of my prizes Whoa. Okay, to pay the tax because the gift tax at that time, I think was 50%. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So I went from a high rise in New York City, traveling all over, having everything at my fingertips to afterwards driving an ugly duckling rent-a-car and living in Los Angeles between Sunset and Hollywood Boulevards at that time, which was really not a good area to live in. There were gunshots going off around me all the time. I mean, that was the difference. So I did not have permission to receive. I didn't feel worthy. Even though I won the crown that night, I didn't claim it. Okay, because I wasn't holding a vibration that says I am worthy. So it took me all these years to understand I can have, I can love myself. Because how many times, you know, something show up and then it slips away, right? I mean, maybe it's a relationship. Oh, I got that person in my life finally. And then all of a sudden it's gone, right? Mm -hmm. It's because we're not holding a vibration that we can have that kind of love. We're not holding a vibration that says I am worthy of receiving. So if we want to hold that vibration of I am worthy of receiving, then we have to do acts of receiving for ourselves, which is 
loving that little kid, talking to that child, honoring her, nurturing her, having compassion for her, having forgiveness for her, letting her passions come up and then co-creating with God. So, so, so it's obviously not an overnight transformational no. process, although it could be transformational. It's got to be a baby steps process in some ways, because there are people who have no context for love, much less self-love. They right. don't know where to begin, which I think is part of what your work is about, to mm -hmm. assist people, to teach people, to guide people, as I do, by the way, in mm -hmm. terms of how to begin to take those steps to even start thinking about what needs to be thought about on an energetic level to create those frequencies mm -hmm. that lead to the ability to receive. Exactly. It, it, and you are so right. I, I feel that we're in a, in a spiritual awakening right now. And if you look at what's going on on our planet, especially in our country, where we've seen the division in politics, what I really under, come to understand is that people are in lack right? I mean, their survival triggers are getting lit up. So if you see someone on the right who may be thinking, well, this is important to me, and then you see someone on the left, and that's important to me over here, their triggers and their subconscious mind that I was talking about earlier are getting what I call lit up. They're going, yeah, you know, I got to stay in survival because everybody wants to stay safe. Well, that lack is what creates the competition, is what creates the you against me attitude, right? And so when we're living in that space, we don't really, we don't have the compassion, we don't have the love, we don't understand that the universe is abundant, right? We don't understand that there is enough for everyone, but we have to be open to receive it. And it's not about staying on the hamster wheel, it's not about performing, because as we know, that keeps us in a low worthiness quotient. If you look at what's going on in our society, we're running a low worthiness quotient. Overall, as a mass consciousness, we're running a low worthiness quotient. If people would say, okay, I wanna stop this. I don't wanna perpetuate this. I want peace. I want to feel abundant on the inside. So I attract what's naturally mine, right? And everybody got to do that. There would be no more you against me. There would be no more emotional chaos because we live in emotional chaos because we're always, mm -hmm. what, what's gonna get me that love? It's survival mode, right? So how, what are the markers? Give me some kind of uh, typical uh, top three markers to help me understand whether my worthiness quotient is high or low. In other words, okay. what, what, how can I measure that? Great, great question. So paying attention to your outer world is key. If you are reacting in judgment, in blame, resentment, in fear, in hopelessness, depression, any of those lower level energies, that tells you that you're out of alignment with God, that you are putting other people's opinions and feelings first instead of putting God first, okay? So think about this. When you are loving and honoring the way you were created, you are putting God first. And this is what we're missing in our society. So if you're in those, in those reactionary state that is feeling like life is feeling hard, 
then you know that you're at a low worthiness quotient. Or you may have certain areas. You may have like, well, I'm, I really follow my heart and my work. I'm an entrepreneur and I'm doing what I want to do. And I feel really good. Your worthiness quotient may be higher there. But then over here in your relationship at home, it may be really, really bad. So you just, you have to go into awareness of if, you know, this is working, this feels really good, this feels, or this feels bad. Another thing is, is that what makes you feel connected? Okay, so I know for me, when I treat myself as if I matter and I get up and I meditate every morning, and I create a connection to God, I create a connection to the angels, I create a connection to my inner divinity. I feel so joyful. It, I mean, literally, Sheila, it brings me to tears. I, I will sit there in gratitude for the love that I'm feeling and this deep connection. And it, it's bliss. Nothing, nothing, not even having my children matches that. So I know... Well, you're reminding me one of my clients has been with me for a while and he came to me because he he wanted to discover his purpose he wanted to date women and he wasn't doing too well and he wanted to learn to love himself and it's been a journey oh yeah so last week he texted me before he came in he said i just had to send this to you so that i wouldn't forget because I gave him the assignment, which he finally did. I'd given mm -hmm. it to him often, but he finally did the assignment. I said, I want you to focus on being totally present as much as you can to everything in your life, whether it's your work or your dating or your being with friends or going out and having dinner or cooking at home. I want you to experience just for a month. I know it seems like a long time, but for one month, I want you just to be present to everything in your life. Yeah. What began to happen after week three, he said, I feel so light. I feel so joyful and nothing particularly has happened to change my, the, the facts of my life but I'm just feeling joyful and, mm -hmm. and just happy. I mean, so what, and I do know that when you can be totally present, you cannot be depressed. No, you that's where the joy is. And that's the joy in the now, right? In the so now. If you can be in the now, just being, being present to yourself or to another. Yes. Gives you that sense of joy. Why? Because you're not in judgment. Mm -mm. You're not, uh, you know, your mind isn't going someplace where you're going to get depressed or whatever. Just being present mm -hmm. will allow you to experience being. Mm -hmm. Just being with no agenda. Absolutely. Right? So mm -hmm. I think that's part of what you're talking about. Well, and, and you, you, you just said a word that's really key here. You said no agenda. So when we're performing, there's okay. an agenda. There's an yeah. agenda. Right. There's an attachment, right? Mm -hmm. So when we're performing, we're 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 really coming from ego, and we don't even really know it half the time. You know, we're not thinking, oh, well, if I do really well for him, he's going to love me in return. It doesn't work like that. I mean, maybe some people are conscious of it that way, but it's more of you learn it from a child from childhood watching people do this right they you see your parents giving themselves up for you and so you just you do this naturally like you give and you give and you give and 
and then you're really attached. You have an agenda because you want to be, you want to get that love in return. That's the performance. And that's why it doesn't work because I mean, look at Miss USA. I performed that night, right? I got up there. I mean, I really was honest. I talked about drinking beer and dipping skull in the back of a pickup truck, but I was still looking my best, doing this, doing that, looking to win the judge's approval. I got the judge's approval and I won. There was an agenda. And because there was an agenda of why I was looking for them to fill me up, I didn't feel filled up. And that's uh, why I went. Isn't that interesting? There's, it's almost as if there's an inner knowing and, mm -hmm. and we don't even understand what it is. It's kind of an intuitive knowing that mm -hmm. somehow if I have to do this or that to get love, then it's not the real deal. No, no. You want to be so in your truth. I mean, really think of your truth as the crown jewel. Okay. <laughs> your truth is your crown jewel. And, and so when you take a stand and you really become the authority of your life, right? When you become that authority of your life, which is God is the authority because you are part of that, right? Again, we make up the, we help make up the body of God. And, and so by being in that and you get connected on a deep sense and, and you listen to this guidance within yourself, you become that authority and no longer do you have an agenda. It's like, you're the boss, you're the boss. So you, you know what I'm saying? Because most of us let everybody else be the boss. We need to be well, the boss of our lives. We're the boss in one way and in another, we're surrendering. Yes, because we're surrendering to that deeper boss within us yeah, is what I mean. When you talk about God, I think, uh, I, I think we're kind of on the same page with this and it doesn't matter what God is to any, any one of us. But to me, God is, is divine spirit, uh, universal energy, the source yes. of all there is that I can't begin to presume to know what that is. Right. Mm -hmm. So, but God is that, that source. To Absolutely. Me, it's source. Absolutely. And, and it, you know, but it even says biblically, I can't tell you the verse because I can't remember numbers like that, but, um, it says we make up like, if you read, if you're Christian, it says we make up the body of Christ. And, you know, and I don't know how that's true, you know, in Judaism, I don't know how that's all uh, translated, but, if we make up that body, right, then we are part of it. We are part of this beautiful divine energy that is so massive, is so beautiful. And we just have to be able to give ourselves permission to say, I'm ready to connect to this because we shut it off. Uh, one of the exercises I teach in my courses is, um, is where we, we really like you think of your crown and you go into a contraction, contracted state when you're in fear and you shut down. You're kind of like, you know, that little roly poly that rolls up and like, oh, don't see me. So you're that way. Mm -hmm. But when you take a breath and you open up and you open up your crown and you allow the light of the universe, the light of your higher consciousness, you let everything flood in, you are now in a receptive state. And in this state is where you get present. Okay, so when you're saying to someone, get present, and all of a sudden there's joy there, it's because they're in the state of receptivity. They're not worrying about the future. They're not thinking about the past. They're not thinking about what needs to be done. They're just being in this moment, right? And so there, they're being in a state of receptivity and they're creating a connection. So you were asking about some of the signs of, you know, of when you're in a low worthiness quotient or a high worthiness quotient. Really, your feelings are your sign because those are your divine messenger think of those as the guideposts from your soul from from that part of you that is divine and and think of them as okay 
you are feeling flatlined, like there's no passion, there's no nothing. Well, you're out of alignment because if there's nothing, that means you've settled. So think about that. If you've settled, if you've settled in your relationship, if your relationship has flatlined and you really pay attention to your feelings, that is your cue. It's time for a shift. It doesn't mean that there's necessarily a shift that you need to leave that relationship. It means there's a, it's time for a shift in yourself. It's time for you to start looking at passion. It's time to look at where are you blocking passion? Where are you blocking the joy and the abundance that, that you deserve? That's, I have to tell you, Sheila, this is really funny because my late husband, he got prostate cancer and he beat the cancer. He had a 2% chance of survival because it had moved beyond his prostate. And so if you know anything about prostate, when they get a PSA, it's supposed to be zero to four. His was 22. Whoa. Okay. So it was really high. Well, he ended up beating the cancer, but it affected everything. I mean, as you can imagine the radiation. So yeah. he started pulling away a little bit. And, and I, at that time I was at 45 years old. I mean, this has been many years ago and and this is peak. This is peak time for women. For me, you know, and I'm sitting there. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm just going to focus on passion for me. So literally I painted my bedroom and he was not real excited about this, but it was this deep burnt orange. I mean, like that Italian feeling, right? Yeah. And it was so sensual. And then I started looking at where I was blocking passion, which really, because I felt like if, if passion can't show up in my life, in my outer world, where am I blocking it? Okay. I had to look at myself. So then I dive within and I start seeing where I blocked passion in my life and started clearing a bunch of stuff. Well, the last six weeks of his life, because he ended up dying of a heart attack, the last six weeks of his life, I had shifted myself so much that for the first time in 17 years, where we had talked about it for 17 years, we started taking a dance class. We were being more playful than we had been in years. We were having so much fun. And then he dropped dead. Mm. He dropped dead. But here's what's interesting. My husband now, Charlie, uh, the, we got married in 2008. So however many years that is. Well, um, that's, when, that's when we were in the book together. Yes. Up. Yes. Yeah. So he shows up on my doorstep the next day. Really? And I, yeah. And I'd only, Charlie's daughter was on my kids dance team, but for those who are listening, who have kids, you tend to hang out with your kids and their friends and their parents because you know, it was a huge group on the dance team. So my two girls were on either side of his daughter. I didn't know him. I'd only ever said hi to him. You know, he was always by himself or with that group of parents. He shows up on my doorstep. And says, let me support you through this. Because his wife had killed herself five years prior. Wow. So he had been a single dad. He knew everything about social security and you know, things that, that would help with the kids. Right. So he comes in. We start talking. Next thing I know, Charlie, me, and another girl are hanging out. And just being the single parents on the dance team. Well, she's really interested in him. And I'm trying to fix them up. And he finally looked at me one day and he said, I'm not interested in her. And I knew he wanted to say, I'm interested in you, but he was being very chivalrous. I mean, he was trying to really give me my time. But to be really, really honest, my late husband died in February and Charlie and I started dating in May. And the, not that July, but the following year we were married and we've been married ever since. And let me tell you, beautiful. 
passion arrived when he showed up. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And it's not, I'm not talking about sex. I mean, that's good, but I'm talking about passion. I know. Passion for life, passion for a, a deep, loving relationship, playfulness. We are so, so playful. And it was because I was shifting myself. My late husband shifted with me in the end, which was such a beautiful gift. And then when it was time for him to go, here comes Charlie. And I didn't, do, I didn't do anything. I didn't go out looking. I didn't, I mean, here's a funny story. In that time when Charlie and I were just hanging out as friends, my girlfriend from California calls me and she says, I can't believe you're living in Georgia. I'm here. We're both single. We could be both dating and double dating together. I'm like, what? Dating? What's dating? I couldn't even get my head around it. And I said, oh my gosh. I said, how do you do that? And she said, oh, match.com. So that night for the heck of it, I went on to match.com and I was living in Destin, Florida and I go into match.com and all of a sudden every siren in my house, every alarm goes off, every smoke alarm, every alarm goes off. I mean, literally. And my kids come running going, mama, mama, what's going on? What's going on? I'm like, your dad's trying to give me a message. And I knew he was giving me a message that that was not the way it was going to happen, but I never dreamed that it was going to be Charlie. He was just showing me, nope, this is not what you're doing. You're not going to match.com. Not that, ma I mean, my girlfriend is dating a guy for years now that she met on match.com and what I was talking about. But, but you know what I'm saying? It was like, I was holding this energy and this vibration of passion, of loving myself, of being kind and gentle to myself, of holding a high worthiness quotient. It was owning my crown that I deserved, deserved a loving and passionate relationship. And even though my husband passed away, it showed up on my doorstep the next day. That's how powerful it is when you love yourself, when you, when you say yes to treating yourself as if you matter. And what's so cool about it is that Charlie and I started our relationship and Steve and I didn't, we had to transition to this, but Charlie and I started our relationship that we were going to grow and learn together, that we were going, if I was reacting to something, then we were going to take it. This is, I need to look at myself and vice versa. Steve and I, as I said earlier, we didn't do that. You know, we were blame game. And then when I got on my spiritual journey and started taking ownership of my happiness and my loving myself, then what happened was, is I was no longer blaming Steve. The walls came down and then he started looking at himself. So we, we stepped on a spiritual journey together to grow and knew that we were in spiritual agreement that we were to do something really wonderful together. And, um, and then Charlie and I too, it's, it's funny because I mean, he'll come down sometimes and he'll say, I'm, I'm working on this and we'll do an energy session and, you know, and help him shift mm -hmm. into the higher vibration. And, and it has been so much fun, right? It's been so much fun Wonderful. to see this. It's just, it's just been a blast to, to see the growth and to walk on that journey with two men, you know, one, my late husband of 17 years and now Charlie and me for 12 years or almost, almost, it'll be 13 years this summer. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's, it's been really, really wonderful. And it's because I made the shift again, you know, we think that others determine our worth, but they're not the ones who determined it. I made a decision to love myself unconditionally. I determined my worth. I raised my worthiness quotient and that's why everything shifted around me. I didn't have to leave my husband. I didn't have to divorce him. I shifted and we shifted. And then when he left, Charlie came in. It was pretty cool. I love that we have that kind of power within us. It's very cool.
And it's a reminder also that in our most intimate relationships, we have the opportunity to see them as a mirror that, that helps us in our journey to see ourselves more clearly Mm-hmm. And to choose every step of the way to step into a loving relationship, both with ourselves and the other, mm-hmm. to see whatever conflicts we have as forms of feedback, mm-hmm. information, so that we don't step into being defensive. We can step into gratitude as if to say, I didn't see that about myself. Thank you. Right. 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 Because sometimes... Yeah. Isn't that true in our most intimate relationships? These oh, yeah. are people who can give us feedback no one else can give us? Oh, yeah. I mean, I used to be like, you're doing this, you're doing that. And now over the years, as soon as I, if I get, you know, triggered and my subconscious mind is going crazy, I'll immediately go into gratitude and say, thank you. Thank you for the gift. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the gift. I'm really angry right now, but thank you for the gift. And then I'll go within and talk to little Terry and say, what's being triggered? How do I love you? And da, 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 da. And sometimes I may need to go vent, you know, to my partner. What's good is that if you, if you can come together as a spiritual couple, as an enlightened couple, in that you may, you know, you're going to have your moments where there may be the blame game because you get triggered and then you pull yourself back and you say, wait, there's a gift. And you try not to go to the blame game, but sometimes you just, you know, that's our humanness. And so you, you, you have compassion for each other for that. And then you become the sounding board in what you're working through. Now, I'm much better at verbalizing what I'm working through than Charlie is because this is my life's work mm-hmm. and he'll kind of do it. And he's a guy. Guys tend to keep it in, mm-hmm. but I can gently coax it out of him. And now he's getting more and more open where he will share. This is what I'm working on. This is what I'm looking at. And I'll say, well, can I support you in any way? Can I help you through this in any way? And sometimes he wants help and sometimes he doesn't. And that's okay. I'm just honoring his process. And it's, to me, it's so exciting to see him doing the inner work because I know that our relationship can really thrive because our vibrations are connecting. See, if, I think what happens a lot of times when people divorce is one person will start doing some inner work, some inner love, and their vibration goes up here. And the other person's vibration, they haven't shifted, is down here. So there's not, nowhere to go except divorce, unless this person's going to lower themselves, which is what you don't want to do. Exactly. And, or unless this person decides to get on board and come up here. So luckily, both of my husbands have wanted to get on board and come and match my vibration. And this is what I call a woman leader of love. I'm leading the pack. For both of my husbands and, my, and our kids, I've led the pack to say, I'm choosing unconditional love. I'm choosing to love myself because I know this is my greatest act of service. And then as they have followed suit, the relationships have just become amazing. Well, what you're talking about is constantly generating that higher vibration, which is very attractive. And it will mm-hmm. actually weed out the wheat from the chaff, won't it? Yes, it definitely does. It definitely does. And you know, it's so funny because it's even worked with my kids to, to have those kind of conversations. And I can have one of my, my, my girls are in their late 20s and I'm a Nana now and, and they might call and go, rah, 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 and I'm like, oh, what's the gift? That's the mirror. And one day my youngest, she said to me, this was a long time ago. She goes, mom, can't I just bet a few minutes? I'm like, sure you can. And then she was in this coaching program to become a coach. And they said, you really get this. You, you really get this, Colby. And she goes, I, my life has been a life coaching. <laughs> so, 
That's a great compliment. It's great, isn't it? Because <laughs> wouldn't it be wonderful if we could all be each other's life coaches? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's so wonderful. To me, it's about empowerment. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, this conversation is so rich and mm -hmm. I would like to continue it even more, but we want to at least you'll know, pay attention to to the length uh, for the sake of our listeners this time around. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I, I want you just to underscore the, the, the worthiness quotient program that you are in the midst of launching. Yes, absolutely. Right Thank you for that invitation. Well, first off, I want to invite everybody to take the worthiness quotient quiz because I've created, it was a divine download and I created this quiz that you really look at every aspect of your life, these different categories, and it's going to show you your overall worthiness quotient and then give you some clarity on where your worthiness quotient is stuck or where it's too low. I mean, as I said earlier, sometimes we have higher and low, you know, things that go up and down like this. So it'll give you some idea of what is going on in your life. Because as I said, you know, most people don't even know. They don't know that we're energy. They don't know that we can shift this. They don't know. So I go into a report and I tell you all of this is short, but sweet and full of information. So they can do that quiz at terrybrit.com forward slash quiz. It's that easy. T-E-R-R-I b-r-i-t-t.com and then the slash uh, quiz so you can go take that and then if you want to dive into the worthiness quotient digital program it is a six-part series 18 meditations um, all guided by me i mean it is the full robust robust program it's called the worthiness quotient claim your crown lead a life you love and i take you through the spiritual tools to start utilizing. I take you into the subconscious mind to clear out beliefs that keep you at a low worthiness quotient and then show you how to harness the energy so you can really start manifesting the life you love and that you become a leader of love so that you can be that change for your family if you have a family or your friends or your community. So you can think of yourself as I am loving myself without guilt, without shame, Right? Because it's oftentimes, oh, I'm going to the gym, but then we think, oh, I need to be doing something else. That's guilt. So yeah, this exactly. is getting out of guilt because that guilt and shame keep you at a low vibration and in a low worthiness quotient. So this is to help you get rid of all of that and to move into a high worthiness quotient. So you move into a divine flow of miracles and abundance. And the way you can check that out is just terrybrit.com forward slash worthy. It's that easy. Terrybrit.com forward slash worthy. If you decide you want to get this program, if you when you're in the shopping cart, you'll see a little box that says coupon code box. And I think it's a little ways down in the shopping cart. Just look for it. If you input the word crown, like C-R-O-W-N, mm -hmm. you'll get $50 off because I wanted everybody to feel like, oh, this is this is this is not expensive at all. And it's 18 meditations, it's six digital um, or six uh, modules. I mean, it is really, really cool. So thank you for asking me that. I really appreciate you letting me talk about that. It's extremely generous. And I just want people to take advantage of you, Terry, oh, and that you. you're bringing to our collective table as we learn more about every single day, how important it is to honor ourselves, to be willing to put on our crown, be willing to say, I'm worth it, to be willing to say, I no longer subscribe to that big lie because it's not true that I'm not enough. What is true is that I am enough. 
And what is true is that I am worthy because I am a child of the divine. Yes, so, absolutely. So until next time, this is Sheila Pearl, the Love Doctor, reminding you to make love better in every way. Bye for now.